Hey everyone, welcome to the Love and Truth Church Savannah podcast. We are so glad you joined us. Our hope is for these teachings to be encouraging and uplifting and that they would help you grow in your relationship with God. Now, let's get ready to receive a powerful message from Pastor A.J. Fowler. It's in the Old Testament, and it's right there um, at the very close to the front of the book. So uh, if you don't have your Bible, you can turn it to the, you can look at the side screens and uh, pick up on that. I, I want to, being that I have the opportunity to speak on Mother's Day, um, I wanted to take, I wanted to, to have a message for you that specifically uh, would speak to so many different walks of life as moms as well as um, all of us in the room and and I, this is what I know. As I talk about the subject of in a crisis, this is what I know. Um, you, if you've been alive a month, um, you have experienced crisis. You have either walked through one, you're in the middle of one right now, you're at the beginning of one, you're at the end of one, or at some point you will walk into it. I'm not trying to speak that over you, but Jesus said that, there's, you're going to face uh, tribulation. You're going to, it's, it's impossible. It's going to come into your life. You're going to experience it. He said, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And, and we hear that and that sounds great, but you know, it's for all, for those of us in the room, if you're experiencing something like this, I pray that I can give courage to you, that you would continue to walk and be faithful in this season of whatever you're facing so that you could come out on the other side. And so uh, I, I, we're going to look at four women in scripture that were in crisis and there are four similarity or there's a similarity there's a common ground that all four of these women in scripture faced and that I want to pull and and give to you a principle at the end so this may be a little bit different than what you're used to hearing um, because you kind of have to wait to the end to get the punchline so but I, I want I want to take you on a journey for those of you that are walking in the midst of crisis, because the problem is most of the time people that are, are in crisis, they're, they're, you're, you're frazzled, you're emotionally and mentally distraught, maybe you're physically uh, struggling, but there is a lot of things happening as you're walking through crisis. And so um, I, I, many of us at times in our lives have had things that have unraveled in our world, and we don't know how to handle it. At first, it's like a, a, a strong left hook that life punches you with, and you're left there dazed and confused, trying to figure out, what do I do? What's my next step? What does this look like? And a lot of times, people will do it apart from God. And I, I want to point to you that he's in the middle of it right there with you. So um, as you uh, open up to the book of Ruth, I'll actually going to start... Um, Kind of, I'll kind of read over this. By the way, Ruth is just four chapters, so you can read it, all right? You can, when you get a chance, don't read it all right now. This is not the time. I don't want you to get bored and read. But I, I want you to take time maybe over this next week and read the story of Ruth. Very, very powerful. Um, but 
the scripture says that it uh, that it came to pass in the days when the judges were were governed. Um, is this is chapter one verse one? And there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went went to reside in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. Now this is interesting as we look at Ruth being the first uh, uh, example of what we're talking about today. Bethlehem means house of bread, but. For whatever reason, we don't know the details to. The land is in famine. It's said that as the judges were ruling, there's a famine. So we don't know exactly what happened. We don't know if it's an Old Testament. It was the judgment of God upon that, upon that region or exactly what's going on. But a father sees we're hungry. We're, we're, we need to get out of this land and go to a place where there is, there's bread. we got to find the bread. So he picks his family up. Which I ought to tell you right now, you live in the house of bread. Maybe sometimes you got to be careful where you pick up your roots and go plant somewhere else. Because he goes and plants to another, another region. And this region is, is what they call in theology poly, polytheistic. They worship multiple gods. It wasn't the God. It was multiple gods. That's why it's important to make sure that before you make a decision that's permanent, be very careful. What is it they always say? Don't make permanent decisions in the middle of a shift circumstance. You need to pray through and make sure that you're making the right decision. Consult others uh, instead of making your mind up and just doing it because it's important where you plant. Right? It's important where you lay down your roots and, and, and it's to, to, to pick up and just leave at a moment's time and a moment's notice. But the father has kids and I've been even honored. Dads, we're providers. We want to make sure that they're provided for and so they uproot, they go. Well, in this whole process, Elimelech, which is the father, he dies. And Naomi, his wife, is left as a widow. And then they have two sons. The two sons, because they compromised, ended up marrying two women that were not of their belief system. Again, they're Moabitess women that had multiple gods. And so the two sons marry two women from that region and the scripture says, then they die. So what you have left is you have Naomi, the mother-in-law, or the mother, the mother-in-law, and you have the two daughter-in-laws. They're all in pain. They're empty at home. Their spouses are gone, but they're also mentally and emotionally broken and empty and in pain. But they're also physically empty. There's an emptiness here. And many of us might find ourselves in this place, and you got a decision. You can choose to remain where you're at, or you can make a decision that I'm going to go back to where the house of bread is. So Naomi makes a spiritual decision to say, listen, daughter-in-laws, I'm releasing you. Go back to your Moabite family. Your fathers will provide for you. I'm going to release you. Go back. Stay with them. Be provided and cared for. You're young enough. You can still bear children. Have family." I'm going back to Bethlehem, and she makes that decision. There's a the weeping party that takes place. They all begin to weep and cry, and then she departs, but not by herself. One of the daughter-in-laws go back, but there's one called Ruth that says, Hold up. I've watched you. I have observed you, and I'm not leaving. I, I am, and we read this during weddings, but she says that your God's going to be my God. Your people's going to be my people. Where you lodge, that's where I'm going to lodge. Because there's something on you, Mama Naomi, that I'm not going to leave. You have laid the groundwork for what it means to, to walk up right before the Lord and said, I'm making a decision. We're going back. I'm following you. Now, 
There's some of that that I might be telling my story too. But something about Naomi made Ruth not want to depart from. She says, I'm going with you. So she does. And she returns and goes back to the land of Bethlehem, the house of bread as it's known. And Ruth is, very, is a very interesting character. She, in that moment, I have to, again, as I read scripture, my mind begins to turn. But she yields herself and calls Naomi uh, a, a spiritual covering in, in a sense over her life and says, whatever you need me to do, that's what I'm going to do. How do we know that? Because as you fast forward a little bit in Scripture, they go back to Bethlehem, but not with a chattering community. Well, did you hear who's come back with Naomi? There is a Moabitess woman. And, and so we're, this is a small region that they're in, so everybody begins to talk. Everybody begins to gossip. There's, there's some slander flying. Ain't nobody, nobody, we don't know nothing about that, right? There, there's a lot of gossip taking place in this, and everybody in that region knows all about Ruth. But that not, does not deter because there's still an emptiness and there's still a hunger in Naomi and Ruth to say, we've got we've to find bread. We've got to find the bread. Where's the bread? We've got to find the bread. We've got to feed ourselves. We've got to take care of ourselves. And Naomi looks at Ruth and she says, I want you to go glean the fields. Well, what does that mean? So in harvest season, the harvesters would harvest the grain from the fields. And then those that were poor, they're not poor, they're poor. All right? They're struggling. They are poor. And so she begins to glean the harvesters, go behind and pick up grain until all it took was being in the right place at the right time. Fulfilling her spiritual commitment, and there is a, na- a man by the name of Boaz that looks across the field. As I said in the first service, he's rich and he's old, but he ain't cold. He ain't dead yet. He can see this beautiful young lady that's gleaning the fields, and all it took was the favor of Boaz upon the life of Ruth to provide. Now listen, this is a spiritual principle for you this morning. Understand that all principles have to come out of the presence, all right? You don't form principles of their own accord. They have to come out of the presence of God. You want power? Power comes from God's presence. The principles of God should come from the presence of God. You don't form principles apart from presence. You'll have legalism. Uh, uh, um, It'll be uh, sharp, abrasive, mean, and cold. But if your principles come from the presence of God, they will cut. It'll be a double-edged sword where it heals as it cuts. You want the principles. They guide your life. You need presence. Out of the presence flow the principles of God. You with me? And so there is a principle here at work that Naomi, or excuse me, Ruth is in the right place at the right time doing what she was called to do. Regardless of what the naysayers were saying and talking about her behind her back. And someone saw her. She didn't have to put it on social media. She didn't have to go out and say, this is what I've done. She didn't have to blow herself up, make herself look, well, I'm serving my mother. Anybody see that? I'm going to take a selfie. Look. She didn't have to do none of that stuff. She was, she was submissive. She was faithful. She was loyal to her mother-in-law. She was honoring her, and she was obedient. And in that process, favor found her. That ought to be a word for somebody this morning. You just don't worry about what other. You don't have to paint a picture. You don't have to put it on social media and show yourself doing whatever it is. You just do what's done behind closed doors, and somebody will take notice. And in this story, um, I love 
the, the next portion in Ruth chapter 2, verse 11, it says that this is Boaz. He's the owner of that field. He says, you make sure she's working in my field. First off, she's hot. So put her in my field. I don't want to work in any other field. We're going to show she's going to, We're going to take care of her. And then they come face to face and have an encounter. And he says, listen, Ruth, all that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me. There it is. You don't, have to put it on it. you don't have to put it on social media for people to see or put it in the paper. He says, and how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and came to a people that you didn't even previously know. Had no clue what you were coming into. You let go of a, a, of a circumstance you didn't know the end of. And you said, I'm just going gonna, gonna to follow Naomi because she seems like she's got something that I don't have. And I'm going to pursue that. And he says, may the Lord, I love this, this is the blessing of a, of, of a father uh, uh, in this moment. He says, may the Lord reward, you, reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come and taken refuge. Now let me remind you that she's not considered in the fold of, of, of these people. She's not in the, she's an outsider But yet there's an uncommon favor being shown to her. And that's rare in Old Testament. That is rare in Old Testament. New Testament, we get into something a little bit different. We have been grafted into the vine, right? The Jewish people are still God's chosen people, but we have been grafted into that vine, and we have a seat at the table for the blessing of Abraham. I don't know if anybody knows about the blessing of Abraham, but it's extravagant. You need to understand it, and it's through sonship. There's a, there is a, because I become a son, because I become a daughter, I, I have access to great extravagant blessing and who the father is because Abraham laid a foundation. You see that. You read that in Galatians. Anyway, I'll keep moving. So, but, but in this, I mean, there's just this, this extravagant favor being lavished upon her heart. And there's a lot of stuff I don't understand. Why did she lay at his feet when she, just read it, okay? All right, you, I'm, I'm, I'm talking out, I shouldn't talk to myself. But there's, it's a strange series of events that take place all the way up to the point of Ruth 4, chapter 4, verses 13 through 15. Let's look at this. Verse 13 says this. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he had relations with her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive. Let me remind you that prior she had no children. Ruth had no children. Naomi had no grandchildren. Both of her sons died. And she told him, you go back to your people so that you can have children to carry on the name and, and all of those great things, the lineage. But yet in this whole process, while she's there, she had not been able to conceive. The scripture says that the Lord enabled. There, maybe there was something going on, but the Lord enabled her to be able to conceive. And verse, um, she gives birth to a son. Verse 14 says, Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you, Naomi, without a redeemer today. And may his name become famous in Israel. I love this. In verse 17, it says that, And the neighbor women gave him, Ruth's son, a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They didn't say to Ruth. They said to Naomi. A son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed. Look at this. He is the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. Ruth is an outsider, but because of her, she's in a crisis. 
the worst of places, but yet she made a spiritual decision and other oriented, uh, un, it, was, it was illogical. It didn't make sense to anybody else. Go back to your home. No, 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 I'm going with her. Because she made a decision, she has now going to be written into the lineage of Jesus Christ. Is that not powerful? In the midst of crisis, nevertheless, not my will, what do you will? It's the type of conversation I'm having with you right now. Ruth made a spiritual decision. Boaz, we see this, is very blessed in all of this. This is what's interesting about the story of Ruth. She made a decision where she couldn't see the solution in advance. How many of us are making decisions because we need to know? I got to know. I got to know. I can't make this decision until I know. How, have you heard from God? Have you sought God? Well, I prayed about it. What does that look like? I got to ask you that. Because a lot, a thousand lesser issues are solved in the prayer closet. I'm going to say it again because I know I didn't get any amens. A thousand lesser issues are solved in the prayer closet. Why? Because you develop an ear to hear. You have to learn to hear. What is the Lord saying to you? Well, my mom didn't give me. Well, I don't care what my mom said. Bless her. I love her. Happy Mother's Day, my mom. But what has God spoke to you? What is it they say? What do, what do you know when you're knower? What is it about you just know that you know? Man, I'm walking in the right direction, right? Where is it with you? All that Ruth knew is she said, your people's going to be my people and your God's going to be. That's all I know. In the midst of crisis, faithfulness, loyalty, honor, and obedience. I'm going to take you to the second story. I'm going to take you through four stories. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, we have a lady that she has a husband by the name of Elkina. And Elkanah has two wives. Now, by the way, you can't do that. That's, we don't do that, all right? Um, <laughs> just make sure that people, some people don't know that you can't do that. So just want to let you know you can't do that. Um, and Hannah could not have children. This is what's interesting. The Bible says that the Lord, in, in verse 5, the Lord had closed her womb. I can't read into that. I don't know why he did, but the Lord had, had closed and blocked her capacity to have children. So this woman is in a crisis internally. She desires to have a child. And the, the Bible says that she's in an unpleasant environment. Uh, verse 6 says her rival, which was um, Penina, would mock her and make her bitter. I don't understand why she hadn't punched her in the throat yet. So what I can't figure out is that somebody's fixing to drop, and it ain't going to be me. It's going to be you, right? And her rival would come and, and provoke her bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed. Isn't that something? God's closed this woman's womb up, and somebody's making fun of it. It's like, are you crazy? That is ridiculous. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if you read Scripture and pause and look at it, but, but that really blows my mind in this whole sense. But she's in an unpleasant environment. And verse 7 Year after year after year, she would, she would show up and, and, uh, to the temple, but she was also crying out to God, and it's not working out. She strongly desires to become a mother. In verse 10, it mentions that she's overwhelmingly distressed, so much so that as she's praying at the temple, Eli, the, the priest there in the temple, he sees her praying, and he's like, this woman's drunk. She's literally drunk. And... She has to explain to him, no, I'm not drunk. I just have, I'm overwhelmed. And I'm, I've been obsessed with what I know. My, I, I want a son. 
and I, I love this, and this is where this thing begins to take a turn. Because many of us has been right here. Maybe, I'm not talking about physically trying to have a kid. Maybe you have. But I'm talking about we've been in a place where we have been crying out to God. I am asking you to turn this thing around. I'm asking you to shift this. God, I'm praying over this nation. I'm praying over our, I'm praying over our government. I get it. I see that, that we're rolling closer towards the end times and you're coming soon, but you've still given us a work to do. And there's so many people uh, uh, that will shoot stuff out and they'll say things such as, where is the God of Elijah? And I believe that God is looking back at his people and saying, where are the Elijahs of God? Where are those that will contend and fight and not give up and actually grow a thick skin and say, I'm, I'm not letting go until you bless me. I'm not letting go. I'm not going to release. I'm not going to stop praying until you begin to move over this thing. God, turn this thing around. There is, a, there is something inside of you that won't quit because you're convinced that he knows that he's got the answer. I, now, now, some of you, you're con- you just know God's going. He's going to work this thing. This is not the way this is supposed to end. Anybody ever been there? This is not the way this is. Spo- I know you got an answer, God, and I'm coming for heaven. I'm coming for you. I need an answer from you. This is where this woman is, and I love what happens. This is the transitioning point in the story. In verse eleven, it says, "And she made a vow." And said, Lord of armies, if you will indeed look on the affliction of this bondservant, me, she's saying, and remember me, and don't forget your bondservant, but will give your bondservant a son. I love this. This is the the hinging point right here. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days. I will dedicate him to you. And I will not, I will not let a razor touch his head. In other words, he's going to become a Nazarite. He's not going to have alcohol close to him. He's not going to let a razor touch his head. He's going to be fully 100% devoted to you. In that moment, I love this. It's the hinge. That's what God was looking for. Could you have said that? Could you have released that in that moment? No, because that, that's, that's, that's not a selfish prayer. That is a selfless prayer. Give me a son. I'm giving him back to you. I'll give him right back. He belongs to you. He'll, he'll stay in the house. And through this, what does God do? How does he respond? 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 19. What does he say? They got up early the next morning, the worship at the house returned, and Elkanah had relations with his wife Hannah. And look, and the Lord, oh yeah, I remember. (laughs) The Lord remembered. Now, let me remind you of something. God doesn't need to be, he doesn't need to remember anything. He knows. He sees. He understands. Right? He knows. What does it mean that God remembered her? Here's the thing. First, you need to understand if God caused the problem or if he puts you in the circumstance or the situation, then only he can reverse it. All right? If he placed you in it, only he can shift it. So, so many times, many of us, we're rebuking the devil for something maybe the Lord has walked us into to help us learn some things so that we can see it from a different light and perspective and grow spiritually. You with me? So, there, we need to see that. We need to see that. How much did the Lord remember her? Chapter 2, verse 21. How powerful is this? The Lord indeed visited Hannah, and he remembered her so much that she conceived and gave birth not to one, not to two, but to three sons. Oh, and there's more, and two daughters. That's how, Now, some of you are like, no, we're good. We're at our house. We're good. We're all right. God, you've remembered us. we got two. We're good. So 
Praise God for that. But he overwhelmingly pours out this blessing upon her life out of a crisis because of her willingness to remain, again, the, the faithful for, the faithfulness, the loyalty, the honor, and the obedience. God just overwhelms her and gives her a house full because of that. I love that story. so powerful. That's how much God remembered her. So that's crisis number two. Mom number two. Let's go to number three. First Kings chapter 17. Again, I'm going to walk you through script. Many of you are going to get your Bible in today, so I feel good about that. Verse, verse uh, Kings chapter 17, uh, we'll look at verse 10. And I love this because Elijah is a prophet, the most powerful of all prophets in Scripture. And he shows up out of nowhere. He drops into the picture and then points his finger at the king and said, It's not going to rain until I say so. And it doesn't. Then he leaves He's hanging out by a brook until the Lord tells him, hey, it's time for you to go to this place. So in verse 10, it says, he arose and went to a place called Zarephath. And when he came to the entrance of a city, behold, a widow was gathering sticks. And he called to her. Now, now I want to slow down. I want you to catch what's happening, the nuances of the scripture. He says, please get me a cup of water that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, it's funny because I, I just, in my mind, I see him with a little bell in his hand, and then he rings that bell again. And as she's going to get the water, he says, and oh, yeah, while you're getting, my, getting me some water, bring me a piece of bread that's in your hand. And now, I, I don't know, I, I, told, <laughs> I told this in first service, I knew of a pastor one time. He, uh, it was earlier, earlier on, because obviously there was no maturity in that. He could have gotten shot somehow, but... His, he, he'd come home from work, he'd plop down in the recliner, and it's almost like, it's, it, oh, man, we come in and we sit down, and that's it. We're finished. It is finished, right? He sat down, and uh, his wife had just brought him a glass of sweet tea, and he was sitting there, and he drank it pretty quick, and he said, I, all I had left was a little ice in the cup, and uh, she was in the kitchen working, doing something, and he said, I just rattled the glass. <laughs> yeah, everybody's like, yeah, that's, that's the death bell you just rung, what you just did. And that's exactly, he said, I never did that again. I got the longest chewing I've ever received in my life. And I, I don't know if he did his laundry for the next two weeks, but it was pretty rough. And so I just look at the story. I'm like, man, Elijah, you, you, I guess he heard from God. That's all I know. He had had to hear from God. You better hear from God when you do something like that. But he, she said to him, she said, or, as the Lord your God lives, I have no food. Only a handful of flour in the bowl and a little oil in a jar. And behold, I'm gathering a few sticks so that I may go in and prepare it for me and my son. We're going to eat this and we're going to die. This is our last supper, Elijah. And Elijah begins to speak to her and he says, Don't fear. Go and do as you have. Just make me a little bread loaf from at first and bring it out to me. And afterward, you're going to make one for yourself and for your son too. Just like a preacher, ain't it? No, 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 no. Fix me something first and then you can have something after that. It's like, are you kidding me? I never asked that from me. I'm just going to tell you. I'm, I, I get embarrassed for Elijah asking this lady these questions. And, and this is the response. For this is what the Lord says, the God of Israel. The bowl of flour shall not be used up, nor the jar of oil become empty. There you are again. We are finding ourselves in every story. There's emptiness. But not emptiness in the sense of where there's no, uh, there's no future for, but an emptiness that is producing some results. That produces a desperation. That produces, hey, I'm going to take another step. I don't have what I need. I'm going to find what it is that I need. 
right? And the Bible says that she did everything that Elijah had asked in accordance with his word. And her house ate for many days. Simply because she listened. She was loyal to the word of the Lord. She obeyed what she heard the prophets say. There was something about Elijah. There had to be in the Old Testament. The presence of God only rested upon prophets, priests, and king. You read that. That's the truth. The word of the Lord only came through the prophet and Old Testament and seers that could see. And so you have this old prophet that's rolling off these words. Something about what he's saying has her convinced. I'm going to do whatever he says he's going to do. Right? And so... She did all of this, and the Bible says that the bowl of flour was not used up. The jar didn't become empty in accordance with the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through him. Now, let me really quick on this story. If she would have insisted to Elijah, if she would have insisted and said, Look, this is all I have. It's not practical, nor is it logical to give you what is ours. By the way, have you met a mom that's taken care of her children? I mean, this is a big deal that she's going to give up the last meal to eat and, so, and to, to curb the appetite for another couple of days before they die. If she would have insisted and said, hey, this is ridiculous for you or for God himself even to ask this from us, then guess what? That would have been the last supper she ate. But because she's in a crisis and because she finds herself empty and seeing she's filled with hope even in the process. There's a trade-off. She obeys and then the miracle is taking place. So there's lady number three, mother number three, widow at Zarephath. Now let's go into the last one. Now hang here for just a little bit because I want to drive this home. I'm telling you, there is a common ground that each of these ladies in Scripture laid the foundation for for us to see a principle. 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4, look at verse 1 and 2. Elijah is the prophet that received double portion from Elijah, the greatest of all prophets. And verse 1, it says, Now a woman of the wives of the sons of the prophet cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. I mean, there's a little bit of an attitude flowing out of this verse. My husband's dead. He did the work of ministry. And uh, now the creditors have come because we bought a house we couldn't pay for. We're, we bought some vehicles just to impress some of the people down the road. We're trying to live this life, and now the creditors are coming because my husband's gone, and he was the workforce, and we're in trouble. They're going to come take my two sons. And she has an edge to her. And I... Uh, it's not the response that would be typical of someone because it reminds me of Jesus. He says, what do you want me to do for you? It's like the, the man that's blind. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He walks up and he says, what do you want me to do for you? I mean, it'd be nice to see, right? What do you want me to do for you? He's talking to this lady. But his question is a question that I believe that causes her to re-examine every aspect and dimension of her life. It's just whenever the Lord begins to ask you a question, it's just like with Adam. Adam, where are you? God knew where Adam was in the garden. He knew that he was, he was covering himself and he had fallen into sin. When God asks you a question, he's trying to get you to stop and look and see where you are. Where are you? Why? 
Because God wants you to take inventory of yourself mentally and emotionally. Where are you at spiritually? Guess what? We're in a culture that is so complacent right now. People are so lax and laid back. We're so full. The, the, the American dream is a lie that so many have bought into, and it has nothing to do with Scripture. God's called you kingdom. He didn't call you an American dream. I understand it's going to ruffle feathers, but that's okay because I'm going to be pastoral to you, and I'm going to tell you the truth, just like my spiritual father is going to tell you the truth. But we need to be challenged. You gotta, you gotta stop thinking. Well, I gotta look like everybody else and dress like everybody else. No, when God asks you, where are you spiritually? He's asked, He's He's confronting what needs to change inside of you. I, I think about two weeks ago, and I've shared this until probably blue in the face with everybody. But I'm gonna share it again. Two weeks ago, I'm sitting at uh, on my friend's couch, and we're we're. In, in Florida, and we're enjoying. I was up early. I was praying, and and uh, I just 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 meditating, honestly. And and the Lord asked me a question, and he he asked me. He said, "What is the evidence that you believe?" And I knew that he wasn't looking for a good old Sunday uh, school Christian answer. He was confronting me in my complacency. What is evidence that you truly are a believer? Because the Scripture talks about. There's a list, and I didn't hear him speak to me the answer. I knew his heart. The Lord is looking for power and demonstration in my life. And I stopped and I said, God, I've heard enough messages. And I begin to weep. I've heard enough messages to get me saved a hundred million times. I've heard, and I'm tired, Lord, of living in the place of where I'm just, I just wanted to take it lax. I want to take it lax. And, and, and God began to challenge me in that, whole, in that whole thought process for prayer and for devotion and all of these things. Because what we see is we see a lot of form but we see no power. We have a lot of people that have a format to do life and to do Christianity, and we're Christian in name only. I'm, I'm, I'm not, st- I, look, I'm not trying to, to, to beat on, I'm just, from, I'm, let me just preach to myself. I have, there have been moments in my life where I have taken the lax approach. I've been comfortable. I've let opportunities slide by when I could have laid hands on the sick and healed them, and I've seen moments where I could have ministered. Can I share a story with you? And I, Really quick, this past week, just a short story. I'm not going to go deep into it. We had some issues with our van on Thursday. We go to a hospital visit. Tyler's with me. Uh, the van does not die until we get to the turn lane right there, leaving out of Corinth Hospital. All of a sudden, the van dies. We kind of had an idea. We kind of, I don't want to say we gambled because we're in church, but we did a little bit. Not gamble with money. Okay, let me just refresh. We should have taken it and got it fixed earlier. We knew the problem, but we didn't want to wait. We're trying to go and get back anyway. So we didn't gamble. Let me just say it that way. And we're getting ready to turn. The van dies. <laughs> We get out and start trying to, we got it. And, and a gentleman that I met in the ER as I was praying for a lady in our church, I met this guy in the ER, and I was uneasy with this guy. This is going to take up some time. i got to hurry. And I was uneasy. He, he had just, there was just something that just made me uneasy. Spiritually, I was a little. So anyway, we're leaving. Fast forward, we're leaving. We, the van dies. We happen to get, he's the one that stopped. We had all these people whizzing by. He stops and begins to get out. Man, can we help you? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm a little bit nervous right now. <laughs> you know, don't get up in my face. Just kind of back off. But he, it, we, we got it. We shot it across to the, to, the, to the convenience store. We parked the van. And this guy's the only one there that's able to take us anywhere in Corinth to a part store to get the part that we need. It's crazy that, anyway. So we hop in. Tyler's nervous. I, I, I'm going to say he is. I was, and I was full of faith and courage and boldness and all, you know, all that good stuff. 
Uh, be honest with you, I turned Live 360 on. I called my wife and said, hey, uh, we're on the road, uh, you know. But this guy takes us to three different parts stores. And I was, we, we were getting comfortable, you know, and cutting up a little bit. And I could tell some markings on his hands that I've seen just in general. And um, so he tells me, I said, well, hey, we're, I'm a pastor in Savannah. I'm a, this is my youth pastor. We're, we're, we're just coming up here to pray over somebody. He says, oh, that's great. He said, my wife is Christian, but I'm pagan. And I've never, I've never personally met a pagan. I've met atheists and agnostics and all of these things. But that described the markings on his hands. And uh, so I didn't, I could tell he was wanting me to pull a bit, but I didn't want to. Let's just go get our part, get back, get, get everything fixed, and we'll go, go home. We... Uh, Got our part. We're on our way back. And he said, so would you like to know about what a pagan is? I said, well, I kind of have an idea. I've seen a few movies, and uh, I've watched the Marvel movies. I mean, Thor, his father was Odin, and you guys worship those guys. And he began, ah, that's, yeah, whatever, you know. And so I asked him, I said, let me ask you a question. What caused you to be pagan? What caused you to, to, do, to do that? And he said, well, I had a son, and that's, I knew he lost his son. He's in a crisis. And because he was in a crisis, he, it was the only one that would possibly reach out to them at the time that they were broken. So he began to believe, and he said that he didn't believe in our God. He wouldn't even embrace prayers, I think is what he told Tyler. But you know what I know? <laughs> Whatever was overshadowing me was in the van. And there was an opportunity for us to share the goodness of God. Not even say a word but just be in the vehicle. And as we got back to the place, I walked up to him, and I, I slapped him on the back, and I thanked him. We filled his van up with gas, and I said, Charlie, I said, isn't it interesting that God sent a pagan to help a Christian out when he was in his time of need? And he kind of smiled, and that was the end of it. But I want to tell you something. As we're at that red light, some good Southern Baptists, Methodists, Pentecostals, all of these probably drove by, but only the pagan would stop and help us out because it was a God-ordained time when God says, there's somebody that's in a little bit of a crisis. This man's been walking through a crisis, no telling how long, at the death of his son. And they're gonna, and all of a sudden, it was the perfect storm. All these words were gonna, worlds were going to collide. And I just have to believe, God, as we sit in that plan, I was just saying, I release the peace of Jesus. I release the peace of, why? Because Jesus said, if you release your peace and it finds a house to stay, it'll remain. So I'm believing that maybe one of these days I see him back. But where where are us, where are the people of God in those moments that stop belly gazing and say, wait a second, there's something happening here because nothing happens by coincidence in the king. That was not a coincidental meeting. That was a God-ordained time that God said, there, I'm going to send the one that you're going to feel uneasy about. He's going to cross paths with you. You're going to have an opportunity to share something about who I am, and I'll take however I can get it, but nothing happens by coincidence. And this prophet's wife, what do you want me to do for you? And as she responds, he says, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to all of your neighbors. I want you to get every vessel that you can find. Get all the empty vessels because God uses the emptiness of her neighbors. And and, and I love this story. I love how it begins to develop. And, and, and she, she 
And all the questions that she has, she said, oh, wait a second. He's jolting me. I've got to get out of this place that I'm in of, of mourning and weeping. I've got to do something. God's charging me. Because we all want to ask questions in times of destruction and crisis. We want to ask an earthly question, but it don't make sense when God begins to respond in a spiritual way. And, and all she had was one jar of oil. And, and he tells her, gather. And they go gather the vessels. She closes the door and starts pouring. AJ, come on. She closes the door and starts to pour. Why did she shut the door? Listen, because God isn't going to let the non believers see what He's willing to do through those that have faith. Are you full of faith? Are you faith filled? Are you faithful? Because that's what He's talking about. You, those will get locked out, and only the people who believe get to see this miracle take place. She starts to pour, and every single empty vessel that she collected from her neighbors was full, and then it ran out. The oil stopped whenever the vessel stopped. What are we saying to you? you got to keep giving God a vessel that he can fill. Well, if I go back to school, it don't matter. Go back to school. Get him another vessel for him to fill. Well, you don't understand if I take on this other uh, whatever it may be. It may not. No, no, no. If you need to do it, do it. Give God another vessel. In other words, when there's no more emptiness to fill, there's no more divine provision to fill it. You got it? When there's no more emptiness. What am I? Not, not the brokenness and design. Just, no, no, no. No, God, here I am. I know that I've experienced you in this measure, but I know that there's more. So, God, I come to you desperate again. Needing more of you. When there's nothing remaining for him to do, he cuts off doing anything because God will only take me as far as my faith will allow me to go. How far am I willing to go with this thing? Your mind gets transformed as you read scripture and all of a sudden the impossible situations that used to be impossible to you start looking logical. The cancer gets healed because you start looking at it from a way and saying, ain't nothing too hard for God. People's like, you're crazy. It's cancer. Are you kidding me? No. I've seen him do it. I've seen him move. I've seen him touch. I've seen him restore a family that was on the rocks and was beyond repair. But he showed up and he restored it 100%. And now they're in a place better than they've ever been in their life. Their finances have been healed. Their children are back serving in the house of God. They're, whatever it may be, God can still work. As the song says, God is able. God is able. One jar of oil, but the oil stopped. She came in and told Elisha, and he says, Now, take that oil, go pay your debt, and be free. So what do these four women in Scripture have in common? These powerful ladies. First off, faithfulness, loyalty, honor, and obedience in the midst of a crisis. But there's a principle. Remember what I said about principles. They're not concepts. It's not a concept of thought. It flows from the presence of God. You cultivate that in intimacy one-on-one. In every single case, in order for their crisis to change, they had to serve somebody else. You kid, in the midst of crisis, you're telling me i got to serve. It don't look like what a man looks like. It doesn't look like a man's thought process and his logical brain. They're in crisis. God says, do, a, do me a favor. Go serve. Ruth, I understand your husband's dead. Go serve your mother-in-law. Hannah, I understand you're childless. You need a child. But I want your son. You kidding me, God? You want the only thing precious to me. 
what, what, Zarephath, you're going to eat your last meal? Give it to the prop. Give it to God first. Release it to him. Story right here. Get the oil and do what I'm telling you to do, and you'll never run out. And that's exactly what happens in this story. In order for their situation to change, they had to make a decision that was other-oriented, did not make sense to the human mind. Jesus said, give and it'll be given to you. You want to hear the principle? Here it is. Give and it'll be given to you. What is what will be given back to me? Whatever it is that you're giving away, it'll be given back to you. They'll pour into your, it's going to be, it's going to saturate you into your lap. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, I love that. By you, by what you give, that's what's coming back to you. See, here's the thing: some of us are, are not giving back because you're not giving to it. You want the money, but you're not willing to give it. You, you want friends, but you're not willing to be friendly. You want love, but you're not willing to show love. You want it back, and, and you're not willing to put it out. Whatever it is, you want mercy, but you're not sowing mercy. You want the grace, but you're not giving grace. You can't get what you don't give. Come on, I'm telling you. that's a, If you don't get anything, you can get that. I think about mercy, and I try to show mercy because... Every so often, my foot gets heavy. And I'll get pulled over by a state trooper. <laughs> Most recently, coming back from the airport off a of vacation. Thank God. That's the only time that I was excited our kids were crying. It's like, yeah, hey, I mean, we got to get home. It's, you know, it's 1 o'clock in the morning. We're trying to get to Savannah. Oh, I understand. I, oh, bless. Hey, y'all, y'all, y'all be careful and go on your way. I was like, oh, thank God. Now y'all hush. <laughs> But, but that was mercy. I should have got punishment and a ticket. Thank God. I was rolling too. Man, I was just so close to where I was about to change 65. I was going 85 and a 55. Wasn't too bad. <laughs> Some of my trooper friends have told me, hey, it's good. You can go 15 over. Is that a lie or not? That's setting me up. I don't know where they're at. Maybe they're not in here. I stopped listening to Derek. <laughs> Here's the thing. God will block you from getting it to you when he knows he can't use you to give it to somebody else. Don't be the vessel that stops the flow. In the middle of crisis, guess what? Stop belly gazing and look up. I'm not saying it's not hard. God's ways is not your ways. Look up on the fields. God's got something he's trying to do. Go glean through the fields and keep your eyes open and say, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm supposed to do. I don't know. I don't know what my next step is, but I know God's got a plan. I know he's got a, 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 a there's a direction here. There's something he's trying to accomplish. Stand to your feet if you would. I get it. It's, it's over, but bless that's my mindset, I guess, from time to time. Um, I want to take a moment, and for somebody in this room, I, I'm going to give it to you. If you don't know who Jesus is, listen, this is your moment to get saved and give your life to Jesus. It's not about a, a few words you could ramble off of your lips. It is honestly about the, the, the transformation of the heart that says, man, something he preached on today. That I, I'm in a place, and I'm in need of Jesus. And if that is you, won't you bow your heads for a moment? I want to pray with you. And I want you to say, Pastor Reggie, that's me. I need to be saved. I need, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, and lift your hand right now. I'm going to pray with you. I'm not going to call you to the front. If you need Jesus, lift your hand. God, I need you. God, I need you. God, I need you. And just right now, you just start. I, I repent. Forgive me of my sins, God. 
Wash me clean. It's through the blood of Jesus that I am forgiven. Thank you for the blood, Jesus. Thank you for the cross. I receive what you did on the cross. I receive Holy Spirit right now. I receive you, Jesus, into my life. I need you. I need you to guide me and direct me. Speak to my heart. Teach me how to have an ear to hear. Maybe you're in here and you you need to recommit your life to the Lord. You need to give. I mean, just telling him, I've been away from you, God. I need to recommit my life to you. Right now, do that. God, cleanse me. Wash me. Bring me back to a place of great passion for more of you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Bless us. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you are able to take something from this sermon and apply it to your life. Also, feel free to share this with your friends and family. And if you'd like to contact us, you can email us at loveandtruthchurchsavannah at gmail.com. We hope you have a great week.